Welcome back to another episode of Mastering Money for Moms podcast, where we're discussing the two greatest generational gifts, raising a family and leaving a legacy. If you would, please like, subscribe, and share our podcast with others so we can help educate more people. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome everyone to the latest episode of Mastering Money for Moms. I am super excited about today's guest, Elsa. Elsa Nguyen, did I pronounce it correct? Awesome. That's perfect. Yeah, so and Elsa and I met at a similar, we, we shared the same mentor and coach in the multifamily arena and her and I hit it off immediately. We have we both have a spiritual love for our Lord and Savior, yes. and that is what connected us. And I got to spend a lot of time with her recently at the NMHC 2023 in Vegas, mm-hmm. just recently. And um, I got to learn more about her. And what was really unique about her is that she transitioned to the U.S. when she was only 13. She's from Vietnam. And so she knows what it's like to struggle. She knows what it's like to have, you know, poverty at your back. And and what she's been able to do since she's been in the U.S. is simply remarkable. And when I meet people that are immigrants into this country, it just reminds me that nobody knows the struggle like somebody coming to this country and having no base, no, you know, you don't have anybody here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'd like to just... One, first of all, recognize you for all that you've achieved while you've been in the U.S. And let me just share that with people. So she is now, um, she's a managing partner for InvestNow Capital, which is a private equity real estate firm. She's managing a portfolio of over $30 million in commercial real estate. And specifically, that's in pre-construction development, which I can't wait to learn more about from you. She's also a national speaker and a multifamily mentor. She's helping people generate wealth through passive real estate investments. And prior to that, she was a CFO for North Star Development. She has 15 years as a financial controller. She also has an undergraduate degree in marketing and a master's degree in business management. So again, welcome. And First and foremost, let's talk about what it was like when you came over here at a very young age of 13. I'd like to know about that transition. What did that look like for you? Thank you, Jennifer. First of all, I just want to say hello to everyone and to thank you so much for this opportunity to be on here. And I just love the name of your podcast. You know, it's just there's a lot of podcasts out there, but for us being mothers and um, working at the same time, especially in real estate is, you know, not, not an easy, that's not an easy task to take on. So I'm very proud to, to be here with you today and able to just share a bit of my journey with you and with your audience. So thank you so much for that again. Um, so back to your question, you was asking, what is it like to um, be an immigrant and transition into this country at the age of 13? Um, it was, it's actually, it was very, very difficult for us because um, our family was very poor back home in Vietnam. We came from uh, a very small village and just by the grace of God that we got sponsored to come to this country, but we didn't leave with 
we didn't have any money when we left the country. So we came here and we were on government support, which was very, very small for a family of six. So I remember we rented like a 400 square foot home um, in Richmond, California, which is one of the poorest area in California. And um, it's just one bedroom. So me and my two sister, we slept in the garage and we converted into a bedroom and we slept there and it was not the cleanest apartment. You know, I get I get bit by mice at night. <laughs> but okay, but I think something just bit me. So anyway, it was not, uh, it was definitely not an easy journey, but um, it's also taught me um, that I need to appreciate the opportunity that this country has for us. So with that, you know, I took uh, school very seriously. And um, just like everyone else, I did my best, you know, and it wasn't easy because I didn't have any English when I came here. So I stayed up very late at night, you know, and back then we didn't have Google Translate or anything. So it was a dictionary, right? And reading a textbook from school and have to translate it using a dictionary was not easy. Um, and so I had to stay up later than what, you know, now that I see my children, like one hour they're done with their homework, I'm like, I remember staying up until 1, 2 a.m. in the morning <laughs> just because it took me two, three times longer. I just had to translate every single word, right? Um, but with that being said, you know, this country has so much opportunities and I'm grateful for being here. I'm grateful for um, what the opportunity that we have um, to do for ourselves, but also for other people, right? Um, so with that being said, it was not an easy transition, um, but there are, um, there are plenty of opportunities. And this is why you know, I'm doing what I'm doing right now is to be able to help people to see that um, the sky's the limit for those who's willing to work and, and wanna, wanna have more. There's just so much out there for us. Wow. So you were laughing as you were talking about sleeping on a mattress in a garage, but I know, and getting bit by mice, <laughs> I'm sure that was, I'm sure that was scary. And, you know, you can laugh at it now, but as a little girl, I, I can only imagine um, kind of what was going through your mind, and, yeah. but, but to take those classes so seriously and to be in a classroom where you don't know what anybody's saying mm-hmm. and then have to get home and try to translate it on your home or on your own. To me, that says you're brilliant. You, you really, um, you seize the opportunity that was given mm-hmm. before you and you just figured, okay, I have nowhere to go, but up, right. Yeah. I have mm-hmm. to figure this up. So, exactly. out. so kudos to you. And um, I wish I could just give you a big hug because we do have it really easy over here when we're born into a family that has a roof over our head and we have a, a bed to sleep on and you, and we, you know, are taught at a very young age, our native language. So for you to come over um, during your teenage years was just really a, I'm sure uh, much more difficult than what you're even alluding to. So um let me ask you, you obviously made it through high school. You then went on to college. You get you get a, a undergrad degree in marketing, and then you go on to get a business or a master's degree in business management. Mm-hmm. Where where did that draw? I mean, obviously, I know where your drive came from, 
But why did you go on and get a master's degree? Um, back in the days, you know, I um, education to us being immigrants, education is everything. We always taught from the very young age, you have to finish college, you have to go to school. And if there's opportunity for you to learn, you learn and you grow. So I took that very seriously when I started. And I wanted initially, I wanted to climb the corporate ladder, right? So after I get my first job, I'm like, I want to be, I want to be the manager. I want to be uh, the, the senior manager of the company. I want to climb up. And most of the people who were on the management level had an MBA, master degree at some sort, or even PhD. And um, so when I started working, um, my first and second job, I can't remember. The, the company that I worked for did have some tuition reimbursement, a small portion, not a whole lot. So I just took advantage of that. You know, I want to work during the day and I just went to school at night to get my master's degree because I don't want to waste the company's money. <laughs> they were paying for a portion of that. And it was easy. I mean, it, I didn't have family back then. I didn't have children. I didn't have a boyfriend. So um, I would just go home anyway. Might as well just go to school and learn some more. So that's how I got myself into just spend another, I think, three years in school to get my master. Wow. Um, I love your heart. You know, you're always thinking about somebody else, but yet you're all, always thinking about what do I need to do next? What's what's mm -hmm. the next ring in the ladder that I need to climb up? And mm -hmm. um, so we talk about a lot in real estate, the continual need to educate yourself in this space. And obviously, you've been a lifelong learner. Are there any podcasts or books that really helped you that you continue to read? You know, you hear about people that read a book two or three times. Is mm -hmm. there some book that you really latched onto that really spoke to you that would be beneficial to our li listeners? Yes. Yeah, so, of course, other than reading up on real estate books and news and what's going on in the market so that we can keep up with the trends, right? Part of what we do. Um, reality is that I love self-help books. You know, the self-help books to me, like I, I have to stay, um, I have to keep myself motivated in what we do. And I believe in the power of manifestation and doing things right. So some of the books that I keep on going back to are books like um, um, how to, um, what is the name? How to um, win friends and influence people, right? Yeah. The seven habits of highly successful people. So those books are like, of course, everybody, I, I think pretty much everyone knows those books, but they don't get old. Like I can just keep going back there and read them. Um, but as you mentioned earlier on the show, we both really love the Lord. And to me, in order for me to, you know, sometimes we can get uh, so caught up in what we do that we neglect our spiritual life. So I do have a book that's called To, to Practice the Presence of God, which I really love. And I go back to that book often because I wanted to keep myself in alignment with just being ethical and just knowing like, I, I got to stay humble, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. just having the present, uh, practicing the present of God and just have him in my life, keep me grounded in what I do. I love that. I, I'm writing that down right now. I'm going to add it to my book list. 
Oh, it's an amazing book. Yeah. yeah. It was written in the 1800 by a Christian monk, uh, Brother Lawrence, uh, Lawrence, L-A-W-O-E-N-C. So it's a very, very old book, but very easy read. Hmm. And um, I, one of my favorite books is that one. I love that. And I loved your other recommendations on the highly, the habits of highly effective. Well, mine is the seven habits of highly effective people, but mm-hmm. I think you mentioned the seven habits of highly successful people. That's good too. Um, oh, no, no. It's the same book. The seven habits of okay. highly successful people is the same book. Okay. And okay. then yes. the seven spiritual law of success by Chopra yes. Vindi and yes. then um, how to win friends and influence people. Yes. Very good. Okay. I, I love that. I haven't read the um, second one you mentioned, so I'm going to add that to my list as well. Yeah, um, thank you for sharing that. I agree. Anytime you're in a space, whether it's real estate or another avenue that is a real struggle or a, a you know, a it's, it's just, it's a hard task for you, right? It's important to read those self-help books, get in the Bible, get in the word and realize that, okay, I can do anything through Christ mm-hmm. who strengthens me and continue to remind yourself that people have been where you're going. And if they can do it, you certainly have the skill set to do it too. You just exactly. have to get, you just have to gain the knowledge. Right. So I'm curious, how did you end up in real estate? So I, um, you know, how I work in the corporate world for quite a bit of time, but I just didn't feel like it fulfilled me. And I like you, because maybe because I'm too driven. Uh, and I, I just feel like there's still a cap, you know, there's just a, like, I cannot break through that working for somebody else. And um, that's when I'm like, maybe I just need to work for myself. And I want to get my real estate license because that's the easiest thing that you can start. The easiest business that you can start working for yourself and uh, get income almost right away if you do it right. And that's how I got into real estate. But even after a few years working as a a commercial and residential agent, um, I still feel like I was working for someone else. (laughs) And now, you know, you work for buyers and sellers. So I'm like, I don't don't think this is what I want to do either. So... Um, my first investment opportunity was introduced to me as a limited partner for um, a syndicator. And he was doing a uh, land development deal and he was asking if I wanted to um, uh, invest in, in it for you know a very strong return. Uh, thinking back, I was just too strong. And um, so I did, I participated but I also knew like, this is something that I want to get into. I want to learn how to do it. So I invest, um, hoping, you know, that will give me the opportunity to learn. So um, I started as a passive investor uh, on with that, uh, with that uh, company. And then since then I started just to kind of poke around and learn and just find opportunity to do it myself. And then I had the opportunity to work with the same mentor that we're both uh, working with right now. And that was really the start of my, um, uh, the business that we're, we're in right now is to buy apartments and and help investors to get passive income, you know, generate uh, passive wealth for them so they could still keep their daytime job and make, you know, a pretty, a pretty nice sum of return every month. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I love that you figured that out early 
that, you know, you were, even though you're in real estate, you were still working for somebody and that really wasn't your path that you were wanting to ultimately take. And thankfully you found somebody that encouraged you to become a limited partner in a syndication. And so for my newer listeners here, um, welcome. Syndication is a term for operators such as Elsa or myself, where we find apartment buildings and then we put the deal together. Now, obviously, when you're buying a multifamily asset, there are millions of dollars. And the ability to take that down by yourself like you can a home is a little more challenging. And so Mm -hmm. it takes a team of people coming together. And so that's where the term syndication comes from. You're putting a team of people together to um, find other people that would want to invest passively in your deal. And the beautiful thing about being a limited partner is it allows you the ability to grow your net worth without taking you away from your day-to-day obligations, right? And your operator or your syndicator, like Elsa or myself, we actually manage the asset. Mm -hmm. And we make sure that we implement the business strategy that we we position or um, share with our um, our investors, and it's up to us to bring home um, their investment or double their net worth, whatever we're trying to achieve in that particular investment strategy. So that's what a syndication is, and a limited partner is you have zero liability, but you get all the upside. You get tax benefits. You get to also. Um, participate in the depreciation that happens on the the property. And then you get to get the distributions if there are any, and usually there are. And sometimes some syndicators will pay out every month and some people pay out quarterly. So it just kind of depends on the particular deal. Now, what I'd love to talk about is how you're now in construction. So share with us what that looks like. I've never, I've only invested limited as a limited partner in somebody else's construction deal, but mm-hmm. never been there as an operator. So mm-hmm. share what that looks like and how that might compare to a multifamily that's already built. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the biggest risk with development deal is that you don't get the, uh, unlike multifamily where we get our return from day one because we get rental income from day one, right? We take some of that, we pay the operating expenses and whatever left, we uh, distribute that to the to the limited partner. Un- unlike multifamily investment development deal, you buy a piece of land and you go to the city, you go to what's called the uh, entitlement process to get approved to build whatever that you want to build on it. And then from there, you're going to pull permits to do the um, the horizontal uh, construction and then build it out. So it's, it's almost like, a, to me, it's like a three-step process, right? Buy the right piece of land that would allow us to build what we wanted to build, whether it's a house or apartments or self-storage. Takes about six months to a year to get the entitlement work done. That means we work with architects, we work with civil engineer, we work with CQR consultants. So a bunch of vendors that we bring in together that the city require for us to do all the study, make sure the the land uh, or the soil will support whatever that we're going to build. And then they want to see the architects, they want to see the drawings to make sure that in alignment with the 
the require the city requirements, right? So that takes about a year or so. We go back and forth. Um, so as an operator, I work with the vendor team in drawing it out, and I work with the civil engineer to make sure get all the study done. And we would take all of that, we package it, and we submit it to the city for review. And that process go back and forth two or three times until we get a perfect package. Um, and they would submit it to a higher authority, usually the director, to give us the approval. You know, and that's when you get an approval at the class. <laughs> uh, so there are some risks in there because uh, we can, we can always get an, a decline. Right, we you may never get. Chances are, you know, if you do everything according to the rule, you will get an approval unless there are pushback from, you know, uh, the people who live nearby. They don't want to build an apartment building in a residential area, for example. Even if it's zoned for it, the director of hearing may say, you know, I get just too many people oppose this. I I gotta have to put this on hold. Right, that happens too. Um, so with that being said, the risk in entitlement is that we don't get the approval. Um, but if we once we get the approval, we can significantly improve the values of the land to, you know, uh, at, in my experience, I've seen it at least double. Wow. So let's say you buy a piece of land for a million dollars. Once you get the approval done, you could easily increase that to two. Um, and then once you get the, the approval done now, you start applying for permits to build a structure. We call it horizontal. So, you know, we get the road bill or do we put the vote, you know, just, just lay the horizontal groundwork. And then the next thing would be the vertical. So there's like a three-step process to it. I personally have not done vertical at all. I only get as far as pulling permits and do the horizontal and then we sell it. Um, but I know there are a lot of operators out there that will take it all the way out. And the way usually the limited partner, you know, work with us is that they just can, they just have to wait until, let's say, they come in and they buy the land with us. They're going to have to wait until we get the approval. And th at that time, we will either refinance or sell and get the return back. And usually with those, you know, with those deals, they will get a much stronger return than a um, multifamily deals because you know they don't get it's a higher a slightly higher risk that they're dealing with and they have to wait for maybe a year or even 18 months to get the money back so we usually do a much stronger return usually north of 20 25 percent if not more wow yeah that's, that's so um interesting and i've never heard anybody that sells it before you even start building on it so that's that's fascinating to me. Um, oh yeah, a lot of us sell entitled. You know, we just sell the approval entitled, and we don't build it out. Um, and that's what usually that's my sweet spot. I don't build it out. I only sell it once I get the approval because I feel that it's less a lot. The time for the investor is so much shorter, and um, it's fast. It's easier, you know, to 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 take your money, and then the the builders who have already. Uh, experience as well as the, um, um, the the supplier that they work with. So it's just a lot easier for them to take it from there than for me to go in and build it out myself. Wow. Well, so there's a lot in that. And unfortunately, we don't have time to unpack that any further. <laughs> but I don't I, I want people to be able to connect with you 
because you've added a tremendous value and you've also piqued a lot of people's curiosity in this space, I'm sure. And they may want to take advantage of your passive investment opportunities in a pre-construction deal. So what's the best way that they can get in contact with you? So they can find me on my website is investnowcapital.com. Probably the easiest way to track me now is on my website. Um, and then I am on LinkedIn under Elsa Nguyen as well as Facebook. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure and I cannot wait to see you at our thank next you. event together. And uh, just wishing you all the best in 2023 and beyond. Thank you so much, Jennifer. And same to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity and wishing you all the best for this year as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mastering Money for Moms podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, follow, and leave a rating or review because it helps support the growth of this podcast. Also, I'd be so grateful if you would please share our podcast on Instagram and tag me at Mastering Money for Moms to help us grow our community of mothers. We'll see you on the next episode of Mastering Money for Moms.